We're in Matthew chapter 2. And when they'd gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay here until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. So that was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I, will, I have called my son. Then when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. The voice heard in Ramah weeping and great moaning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Arches was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the dist district of Galilee and he went there and lived in a town called Nazareth. So that was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that we would call a Nazarene. Now this sermon's going to be a little different for you because Joseph sacrificed a lot because of Jesus in his life. Because Jesus was in his life, he sacrificed. Now, he never complained. So, are we called to make sacrifices when we fall to Jesus? Not everybody has come to grips with this. And what kind of sacrifices could that be? That's what you and I will explore today as we study God's holy word together. Let me share a story with you first. There was a Christmas play. And there was a little boy who desperately wanted to be Joseph. But when the parts were all handed out, his biggest rival was given that part. And he was resigned and assigned to be the innkeeper instead. And he was really bitter about this. So all during the rehearsals, he kept plotting. Plotting in his mind what, what he might do to get even with this rival. You know, he's just a little kid, right? Who was Joseph? Finally, the night of the performance in the church happened and Mary and Joseph walked across the stage and they knocked on the door of the inn and the innkeeper opened the door and asked them what they wanted. Joseph answered, we'd like a room for the night. Suddenly, the innkeeper threw open the door and said, Great, come on in. I'll give you the best room in the house. And that wasn't in the script. <laughs> now, for a few seconds, the poor Joseph didn't know what to do. He finally had an idea. It occurred to him. He pretended to look inside the inn. And he turned to Mary and he said, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, let's go to the barn. <laughs> now, did Joseph ever say anything like that in the Gospels? No. In fact, 
If you read the nativity story and the story of Joseph and Matthew and Luke, you will find Joseph never said anything anywhere in the Gospels. Not a single word. Nowhere in God's holy word do we have a word recorded that he said. In Matthew chapter 1, 18, we're told that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because her husband was a righteous man and did not want to divorce her and publicly disgrace her, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and it said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from the sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will name, call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph walked, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary to be his wife. Joseph never said a word. He simply obeyed God and took Mary to be his wife. Now in Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 and 15 we're told that the wise men had gone to the an angel Lord had appeared to Joseph in a dream get up and take the child and the mother to escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to make a search for the child and try to kill him. He got up, took the child and the mother during the night. How many of you function well at the middle of the night if your husband woke you up? Or if, how many kids would function well in the morning? In the middle of the night and stay there until the death of Herod. That's Matthew 2, 15. Again, Joseph never said a word. He simply obeyed God and went to Egypt. Then in Matthew 2, 22, we read, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Again, Joseph never said a word. He simply obeyed God and went to Nazareth. Joseph was kind of like that. A silent partner in this story we have. He never speaks, he never complains, he just does what he's told. And you gotta believe that would not have been easy. One preacher, preacher put it this way, Joseph didn't expect to raise a boy that he wasn't actually the father of when he was, before this all happened. He didn't expect to be traveling around the countryside on the run from Herod's soldiers. He didn't expect to live in Egypt. And he didn't expect to be responsible for training and protecting the Son of God. 
I mean, before Mary got pregnant, his future was pretty predictable. No, it was. Okay, he was a skilled craftsman, known for his honesty and his righteousness. He knew what to do and when to do it. His life was comfortable. Now, it was not exactly a nine to five job, but in his town and his family, he could support them and, and he did what husband and father supposed to do. He was an ordinary guy from an ordinary family living in an ordinary town with an ordinary job. But then Jesus came along and, it, and life got complicated really quick. For the next five years, his family was constantly on the move. In Bethlehem, they ended up staying in a stable. Then they probably lived with some of the relatives for a couple years. And then Joseph had to take his family to a foreign country for about two years. And then Herod, and if Herod ever found them, well, it had not been a good thing. Herod killed all his family too. So, did, you know, he, he had no problem killing kids. And when Joseph proposed to Mary, he hadn't, it, it's, it's, it wasn't what he signed up for. You know what I'm talking about? But because of Jesus, Joseph's life became unpredictable and confusing. He literally sacrificed his future for Jesus. The question is, and it's an honest question, was it worth it for Joseph to do that? We should never be afraid to ask an honest question. Was it worth it for him to sacrifice his future for Jesus? Well, I put down, well, yeah. First, God knew Joseph by name. No, that's a big thing. God knew Joseph by name. Joseph may not have said much, but God mentioned Joseph's name about 15 times in the Gospels alone. Joseph ain't saying anything, but God's saying Joseph over 15 times, just in the Gospels. That's not counting the rest of the New Testament. And, and every time the Christmas story is told, there's Joseph, and God tells us Mary and jo Mary, Joseph's husband, probably I'm saying that wrong, Joseph, Mary's husband, was a righteous man. He says, Joseph, Mary's husband, was a righteous man. Now, allow me to give you a little bit of a rabbit trail here. For just about two minutes. You trivia lovers will love this. And this is important in what we would call Bible translations and in just plain translations. Now, we're going to make this short, but it truly is important. This is the Greek word for righteous. Dikisonea. It means just or righteous. Now, I printed off 31 Bible translations here. Yeah, isn't the computer a wonderful thing? Now, if you have an NIV Bible, it'll say he was faithful to the law. A living translation Bible said he is a righteous man. And English Standard says just man. We have righteous man, righteous man, just man, righteous man, just man, righteous man, just man. 
This word means woke. This is the word that is translated. Now, in our way of thinking, we don't grasp the difference between just and righteous. Our English language does not translate like the Greek. But let's not forget this. Let's go. We're going to go to the next slide. This is Hebrew. This is Tazdik. That's how it's pronounced. Tadik. T-A-D-D-I-K. Tadik. This means to be just or righteous. So when the Bible translates he was a just man, he was a righteous man, he obeyed the law, they are telling the same thing. So whatever your translation says, it depends how you translate it. Now, this becomes important because we sometimes will say, there's an error in the Bible. No, there isn't an error. This is the original language. You've got to go back to the original language. So if you have the NIV Bible, it's saying he was faithful to the law. That meant he's just or righteous. It's our lack of English. Now, people love to point this out that this is a mistake. No, it isn't. It's our, our lack, our English lack of translation. Do you know how many does there are in Greek? There are 26 thes, T-H-E in Greek. There's masculine, feminine. It's, don't ever take Greek. And if you have, one person has, it's okay. It's, you're okay. You might be crazy, but. Now, I'm going to make sense of this. Not many men are called righteous in the Bible or just. You can put in whatever word you want. Righteous fits our mind of way of thinking better. In all of Scripture, in a brief search I did, I only found five men who were called righteous men. Just five men personally called righteous. The word righteous is used many times in the Bible in many ways. There are a couple of groups where people are called righteous. There are a couple, there's a couple times it's a righteous time, but there's only five people in all of God's holy word called righteous or just to the original language. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Lot, and Joseph. That's it. Joseph was one of a very select group of men that God wanted you to know about. And he never said a word because they were righteous. God is saying, try to be like these guys because they're the men, they're the kind who impress me. So Joseph was a righteous man. And that's probably why God chose him to be the earthly father of Jesus. God knew Joseph could be trusted to do what God wanted done. God spoke, Joseph obeyed. And lastly, God supplied Joseph's needs. When Joseph and Mary got, had to go up to, into Egypt, which was a journey about 430 miles, God supplied financial help that they needed to survive. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In Psalms 34, verse 19, it says, A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. 
So it was worth it for Joseph. It was worth it for Joseph to go through all he did to be used by God. But make no mistake, Joseph sacrificed because Jesus was in his life. And let's face it, everybody that Jesus touches is called to sacrifice. Nowhere in the Bible are you told that if you follow God that you'll not have trouble in your life. In contrast, Jesus said the opposite. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Those words of Jesus are in Luke chapter 9, 23, if you want to look it up later. To deny ourselves. If Jesus is in our lives, we are called to a life of sacrifice, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross every day and follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, oh, then this is tough teaching. Now, now hear me out. Jesus said, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Those words of Jesus are in Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Those are his words. Now hear this out very clearly. Jesus calls me, Jesus calls you to a life of sacrifice for him. That's what he calls us to. And what's that all about? Well, it, it's about the difference between worldly thinking and Jesus thinking, or godly thinking, depends how you want to do it. Now, I love bumper stickers, right? There's never been one on my car, okay? Got no use, but there was a bumper sticker out there, and it had the words, drive carefully. The life you save may be your own. I could not find that on the internet, but I remember the internet, you know, anybody, and I'm only going to spend so much time looking at bumper stickers. Goof off takes them off really good. Don't have bumper stickers. Of course, they, you do get the message across, don't you? I would say that's too many, wouldn't you agree? I think it's covering up the rust in the car, but that's... <laughs> now, let me say this again. Drive carefully, the life you may save may be your own, is the wisdom of the world, in a nutshell. By contrast, God says the life you save is the life you lose. The life you clutch, hoard, guard, play safe with, in the end, it means nothing to anybody, including yourself. The only, the only, only a life given away for love's sake is worth living. Now, got a nice book here by Sigmund Freud. He, you know, he's a, actually has a great quote. Sigmund Freud, he, he wrote, in the depths of my heart, I can't find help being convinced that my dear fellow men, that there are few exceptions or mostly all men are worthless. That's the bottom line. He said, 
with the, except, with the few exceptions, most men are worthless. And he's one that the world looks up to. He's one that they hold up on a pedestal. And he thought all men were worthless. What Jesus is saying is, I'm calling to be one of those exceptions. I want, to, I want you to be an exception to not be worthless. I'm calling you, Jesus says, not to be worthless, but to be filled with worth. And he, now here's the deal. You and I, in our lives, have a plan. When you became a Christian, you signed up to be used by God. So you and I now have a purpose in our lives. Our lives have meaning and value because God has given us a purpose. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we are told that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus good for works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. When you became a Christian, God started working on you. You are his workmanship. God created you in Christ Jesus to do good works that he had prepared be beforehand for you to do them, to walk in them. Which means we got a reason to get up in the morning. We got something important to do for God. We're valuable to God. Now, just a little bit ago, I said that I listed some of the sacrifices that Joseph made with Jesus in his life. But what is interesting about Joseph's story is that he never complained. God spoke, Joseph listened, and then Joseph obeyed. His whole life was turned upside down but he simply trusted and obeyed. Someone once noted that one of the current undercurrents of Christmas story is that people who were major players were really inconvenienced by Jesus' birth. They were. They literally sacrificed parts of their lives for Jesus. The wise men were inconvenienced. They left their homes, their families, and traveled 1,300 miles, roughly, one way to a foreign country. Their travel would have taken at least two full months. It would have been much easier just to send a letter of congratulations. It would have. The shepherds were inconvenienced. They had to leave their flocks and travel several miles on foot to, to find Jesus in the manger. And they weren't told where it just exactly was. They had to make a search to find him. Mary was inconvenienced. She gave birth in a stable. She might have hoped for at least a bed with clean sheets instead of laying on a bed of hay. And that's all she got. And of course, Joseph, he was inconvenienced. And yet none of these folks ever complained. Why not? Allow me to explain with an illustration. 
Have you, some of you have been married, some of you haven't. Some, let's, let's work it this way. Have you ever seen a man and a woman who are in love with each other? They sacrifice all kinds of time just to be with the one they love. They sacrifice all kinds of money to buy them things for that person. If they can make something with their hands, something special, it just happens. And yet, if you were to ask them about their sacrifice, they'd be shocked. They didn't view their time with this person or making things or buying things as an effort as being a sacrifice. They saw them as gifts of love. But on the other hand, on the other hand, hear this out, if they don't sacrifice that time, that money, that effort for that someone special, if they view all their efforts as a burden or an obligation, you might really get the impression that they don't love the person they're with that much. Do you know what I'm talking about? What's my favorite saying? Happy wife, happy life, right? Amen, that's right, Jeremiah. But it's true. It's, it, it doesn't bother you if you love the person. Do you remember the event after Jesus rose from the dead? When he sat down to eat with his disciples, he said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed ten my sheep. Then Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then he said, feed my sheep. You can find those words in the book of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter did. He did what he was told to do. Never complained, never whined. When he was told, he got to work. That was his calling. How many of you have been there with that type of calling? From that day on, Peter was on fire for Jesus. And he sacrificed the rest of his life serving Jesus, taking care of his sheep. But I would personally doubt that he ever saw his life as a sacrifice, an obligation or a burden. Peter did what he did because he loved Jesus. Do you love me, Jesus asked. Now, there's some of you, uh, 15 or 16 years ago, we looked at this statue. There's a story is told of a statue in, from World War II in a church building that was in Strasbourg, France. And it, it, it was just destroyed by bombing. And after attack, the members of the church went in to check out the damage, took stock of the damage. And one of the great resources of pride of this church, of this congregation, had been the Statue of Christ that had been sculpted by a great artist centuries before. It was a beautiful work of art. 
It showed Jesus standing in front of him with his hands outstretched. The statue was still all intact, except when the bombs fell, a beam from the ceiling fell down and sheared off the hands. Now, there was another sculpture in that part of France who heard of the plight of the damage and he said he could repair the broken hands as a gift to the church. Church leaders met, considered, Germany had just been kicked out and they decided not to accept. They felt the statue without its hands would remind them that they were the hands of Christ and that Jesus expected his work done through them, his people. To this day, the statue has no hands. And many other sculptures have been cut that way without the hands because it's a great message. Now, if you see me here today, how do we start to close out this study into God's holy word? Allow me to share this with you. So Joseph probably made some decisions after waking up from his dreams and talking to Mary. He would do the very best he could, as one of his decisions, to help Jesus be about his father's business. To help Jesus be the person God wanted him to be. I'm just ad-libbing there, but I'm thinking that's what he did. But Joseph's problem was he was a carpenter. He was a tecton. That's how it's pronounced, tecton in the Greek that means carpenter. William Barclay says, in the ancient days, a tecton was a man who probably had two chisels, a hammer, a saw, a plumb bob, and a square. But with those few tools, he could build a chair, a table, a bridge, or a house. He wasn't just a workman. He was a craftsman. He was a carpenter. We look at carpentry different than they looked at calling him a tecton. He was a master worker of stone. He was a master worker of cement, the newest Roman thing. He could build a bridge. He, he was a master carpenter. Not just a framer. He could build anything. This was Joseph. He he was highly, he had a highly praised skill. He had a highly praised profession. He had a highly needed calling. It was obvious that Joseph had an impact on Jesus as you study Jesus' teaching. Now you, you need to hear this out. You may have never have noticed this before, so I'm gonna take you through this very quickly. I want to share just a couple examples because we're going to run out of time and you guys are all expecting the nice lunches and all that kind of good stuff. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the fellow who had sawdust in his eye, which is Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Then he also talked about two men who were carpenters who built houses. One was wise and one was foolish. And towards the end of Jesus' ministry, here's another example, he was trying to communicate the disciples of the importance of finishing what you start. So he told of a man who wanted to build a tower. 
who first went out and got all the material to make sure that he could finish what he started. Joseph didn't teach Jesus about aristocracy. Joseph didn't teach him about speech making. But by his own example, he taught him to finish what you start and how to handle disgruntled customers. He taught him how to pay his bills. He taught him how to treat his mother with respect. He taught him to take care of his younger brothers and sisters. He taught him to be a man of his word. Joseph did not know that sometimes before Jesus began his ministry that he would be called home and leave his family fatherless. But that boy he trained, the boy he worked with, the boy he sawed lumber with, the one he chiseled wood with, would take his place and become the father to his younger brothers and sisters. Joseph had no idea the work God had called his son to do was the work of a carpenter. And that when Jesus was 33 years old, he would construct a bridge that would span eternity. Joseph had no idea that one day a carpenter's product, a wooden cross, would be the greatest monument that this world has ever known. All Joseph did was keep the commitment he'd made to God. All Joseph did was to take a few tools and help mold Jesus to be the son of God. Now you might be feeling inadequate today for the task God has called you to do. But just like Joseph, you must make a commitment. Like Joseph, we must be concerned, not just for the physical well-being of our families, but for their spiritual well-being. You must understand that you are a steward, a manager. God has given you just a little bit of time with your children. You must consecrate yourself to do the best, to do your best in the job that God has called you to do. Whether it's a father, mother, nephew, niece, children, that's what we're called to do. It's not easy to raise kids. And no offense, it's not easy for them to put up with you. Now, some of you have gotten a little older. Any of you ever gotten cantankerous in your old age? No, none of you would ever, you know, Ah. Do you remember when you were 20, you thought you knew everything and everybody who had gray hair was stupid? Remember, they used to say, don't trust anybody over 30 until you made it to 30. Now, they remember it used to be 65, everyone had to retire because they're old and falling apart. Now you're 65 and you don't, you're not ready to retire. I want you to honestly think about something. We downplay Joseph. We say he was just a carpenter, but that's because we don't understand the word tecton. He was a master builder. He could work any thing of the day. He understood leverage. He understood, he built homes or he built furniture. And he taught that to Jesus. I, I just challenge you to read 
some of Jesus' speeches. He went back to carpentry time after time after time. Joseph is the one who taught him that. You wonder what Joseph's role was. He was, every time Jesus spoke, he, he showed his father. We just don't, we're not told it. You just read some of the speeches. Place after place, he modeled his father. Now we need to close in prayer. We have a wonderful candlelight service at 6 p.m. tonight. It'll be a beautiful communion service. It's the highlight. The lights will be down low. You're invited to come. And then Christmas Day, we will have the church open from 9 to 5 for personal worship. The lights will be low. Music will be soft. And many people just come in and have a moment with God. But let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you have called us sitting here today to be your hands. You called us when we thought we weren't ready. You called us when we thought we weren't capable. You called us to be what we never knew we could be. We've called, been called to be your light. Now, Father, help us to understand what it means to be the light of God to a dark world. And give us the strength to stand strong and true and not flow with the whims and the ways of this world. Let us stand true to the light of Almighty God. And all God's people said, Amen.